Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by GetX. GetX features a full line of dial-in markers, burnout guard, and paint protection, and recently has introduced their brand new racetrack-approved hand sanitizer, which we all need to keep our hands germ-free. You can find all your GetX products at your favorite retailer, Jeg Summit, etc., for your dial-in, paint protection, and now personal germ protection needs GetX has you covered. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 47. It is the last full week in June of 2020, and my goodness, we know that the world keeps getting weirder and weirder, and last week was no exception. It has been said that it is important to keep your head when all those around you are losing theirs, and um, that's what I kind of had to do last week. Some things shook down for me last week personally that just kept me from doing the show. Uh, That was unplanned, and to my Knowledge that is only the second time I've had an unplanned week off since we started the Fast Brackets podcast. Um, you know, one was early in this year with the the Rona, and then last week was kind of an issue. But uh, you know how I roll, and that is I'm not showing up, I'm not recording, and I'm not putting out a show that is just thrown together. You are spending your time and energy on our sport on these classes, and on Fast Brackets Nation. Uh, So you know, because you're doing that, I'm not sending this rig down the track with plug wires hanging off, loose nitrous lines, uh, you know, things not squarely secured down. We do this thing right. That's not how I roll, and I know you deserve it. You deserve better. So I had to put this thing back in the trailer last week. I didn't like it, but uh, I absolutely needed to do that for all of our sakes. And I'm happy to say we are back at it now, and we have another sweet episode today. So, um, and I will I will say this, um, and this is an interesting thing about podcasts, and it had uh, give me a chance to figure this thing out, but. Uh, it gives me a chance to check out the data. Podcasts are a little bit different than radio stations and that they're live. Podcast gives me the data. I can go see exactly how many listeners we had last week. Um, so, you know, A, it does a couple things. A, if you're on the show and you have sponsors and you want to get them a little pub and you come on the show, do your thing, hype it up so that your sponsors can get some run. So that's good. The other thing I think about the podcast is, I can get some listening tendencies out of uh, out of you guys, which is really good. And what I've noticed is that some of you have been court- cutting this thing short. You've been killing the power at the mile per hour cone. 
Do not do that. There is good stuff at the end, I promise you. And actually, there will be much more good stuff throughout this year that is specifically slotted for the Taking the Stripe segment. Um, You know, plus, you get to hear producer Rob get learned up about drag racing at the end of each show, which is so, so nice. Um, But uh, now that we've said that about uh, last week in the podcast and the data Let's get to this week's show because we've got two unbelievable guests for you this week. First of all, we've got Mark McDonald coming to us from the Division Three top sportsman side. He is an incredible competitor uh, in that uh, class there. And then we've got Kurt Johnson from Total Venue Concepts. He's the owner-operator of that, and I'm excited to have both of these guys on today. So let's get to it. Let's uh, get to doing whatever you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute. Clean the shop. Work on the old heap, but metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. Okay, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. And guys, girls, I, like a lot of you, are absolutely sick of talking politics and social issues on this show. I get it. I'm tired of all that stuff, but here we go again. Um, and I'm, it just keeps coming at us, and it's impossible not to talk about. Um, and I'm not going to get into the absolute S show that was NASCAR this week um, other than to make these two points. A, I absolutely loved that the whole racing world came together to make a stand against racism of any kind, um, whether or not there was actually an incident is really besides the point. Everyone that has ever strapped on a helmet came out and clear and said, no, sir, not on my watch. That isn't how this goes down, which I absolutely loved. But it did make me think about why was that? Why was it that everyone who has turned a wrench or rooted for a driver in a motorsport immediately said, this ain't happening? And then I thought about the weekend, um, this past weekend with my dad when I celebrated Father's Day with him, and it hit me. This is exactly what, why it is, why the entire motorsports world came together, and it's because our dads taught us right from wrong. By and large, about 80% of us got into this sport because of our dads or a father figure taking us under the wing and showing us what hot riding and Those of you that know me at all know that I am a huge data guy. I am constantly downloading the race pack on human events. So when I watch the actions of anything, really, I either download them into my brain for the record or I go do the research so I can understand the actions better. And the research is very clear. Those children raised in a dual parent income or home, I should say, or and this is kind of spun a little bit for me too, simply raised by their dad in a single parent home are much more likely to succeed in life and get an education, stay out of trouble, etc., than those that are raised by single mothers. Now, that is not to say can't be a good person or you can't succeed while being raised with a single mother. Certainly we can all find examples of that in our own lives. No, no worries there. That's obviously not my point. My point is that the statistics, 
the data on the subject are so clear that it's almost striking that we don't see this on the nightly news every single night instead of the garbage that we see on it. Um, So therefore, it shouldn't be a surprise. Most of the motorsports world was raised by either their father or a dual home, dual parent home. And when we saw something that we didn't like, we all stood up and said, that's not what we do here. That's not how we operate. That is not something that's going to continue to go on, you know, if it did. And I guess, you know, maybe we should get into or I like not to, but uh, even if someone has to explain to someone, um, you know, maybe they've never been in a shop door with uh, a 14-foot overhead doors before. Maybe that was a revolution on how those things open and close. But uh, even if we have to explain to somebody how overhead doors work, um, what I will say with all that is nice work, dads. You killed it. You have taught us well. And to all the fathers out there, I hope you guys had a great Father's Day and absolutely enjoyed the heck out of it. All right, let's put this thing in the beams presented by thisisbracketracing.com. If you want to get good at and know the science, get yourself to thisisbracketracing.com and check that out. On with us today, though, from God's country, Evansville, Indiana. He is a multi-time Division Three top sportsman winner. He has won at the national level and the divisional level. He's a former JEGS All-Star champion. He is maybe the best-looking guy to ever wear a Fast Brackets Nation t-shirt. And welcome to the show today, Mark McDonald. Mark, how are you, man? I'm very good, Rex. <laughs> Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, you like you've been killing it here recently. Um, I, you know whether the T-shirt is helping you or not, we don't know. But uh, you just came off a huge win this this past weekend in St. Louis with the Midwest Pro Mod Series. But let's go way way back. Let's talk about when you first started in drag racing. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, it started in 1966. My dad took me to the local uh, racetrack where my uncle was running stock eliminator. Uh, uncle David was a big influence in my racing career. Uh, of course I was a pretty young man then. And, uh, uh, but that's where I, uh, that's where I got my first taste. And then, uh, about 1976, uh, I had my first street car and, uh, the passion for drag racing had already set in for me, so I was off to the local racetrack with my streetcar. And the first first outing, uh, uh, I ended up going to the finals on my, in my first outing. So then I was hooked for life at that point. You know, the drag racing gods—they do it. They always—I mean, there's a way, and it gets into us. Uh, if we get a little success early, boy, they know what they're doing. I've always said that. Yeah, it's uh it it is definitely my passion. Yep. Um and so you that was your first car was a street car, but uh walk us through the progression a little bit because you've got a bad top sportsman car now. Oh yeah, we've had numerous cars over the years. Um uh, primarily I've always, well, I've always been a bracket racer. I've never done anything beyond that. I I think one I think I entered stock eliminator with my six cylinder Camaro in about 1978 and won a trophy in stock eliminator at, at Windy Hollow Raceway. Oh, okay. Owensboro. Yep. <laughs> With the six cylinder, right? 
for the six cylinder, it was a V stock automatic. So it looked like I had visa on the window. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that that's, that's good stuff, but you've, you've progressed, uh, heavily since then. Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, when you made the transition to top sportsman, um, and then a little bit about your car. Yeah, we, uh, uh, my two sons, we raced junior dragsters. So we, we bracket raced up until, uh, probably the mid eighties. And then we went junior drag racing until about, uh, 2001. And, uh, we sold the junior dragsters and dad built him a new race car. And we started following some of the big bucks bracket race stuff. And, uh, about, about nine years ago, my racing business partner, JB Strasswig, started running top dragster and i was kind of keeping an eye on that and he he probably influenced us into going to top going top sportsman racing and uh so we started that about seven years ago uh, with a car that was less than adequate for the class and uh, we struggled through that for a couple of years and then uh, charlie evans and i partnered uh we bought a wreck uh dan parker pro mod escort Okay, and the the car had about six passes on it when we got a hold of it. Uh, even though it was fairly old, it was a two thousand and five model car when we got it, and uh, we started messing with it and decided that we'd uh, put a McCamus sixty seven Mustang body on it. And I had the front half of the car and make some other modifications and repairs to it from its accident. But we've been running that car now for six years. Um, uh, and you did all we, the chassis work on it, right? Well, I did the the repairs and the updates on it. So from the firewall back, it's pretty much Dan Parker's stuff. Uh, I don't I don't know if you know anything about Dan Parker or not, but he truly has taken life's lemons and turned it into lemonade. He, he uh, uh, blinded himself in a pro mod accident, and uh, since then he set I think now two uh, land speed records. Uh, one on a motorcycle blind and one in a, and then recently, I think just this spring, another one in a, uh, in a Corvette that I think he went over 150 mile an hour in a Corvette unassisted, unassisted blind guy. I did see that. I missed the motorcycle run he made, which is fascinating. And I'm making notes to myself right now to dig into that because that is amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, he he has a technical passion. I've never met Dan, not talked to him, uh, but he is certainly somebody to aspire to. Uh, like I say, turning life's lemons into lemonade, he he is uh, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Um, really impressive. I'm gonna have to circle back to that. But um, you you bought or his car, and then you made the updates to it. And and what? It's a '67 Mustang. Is that right? Yeah, it's a Tim McCamus bodied '67 Mustang. Um, we like we like the timeless body style, so th- that suited our personality more than the than the Escort. So, uh, uh, car gets a lot of attention. People comment about it all the time. So it's gorgeous. Yeah, um, you know, and I think my propensity for Chevys is very well known, but uh, it, it is a gorgeous Mustang. So if you haven't seen it out there. Go check out uh, Marks at, at some point, as it's it's a really pretty car. Um, and then, what what type of power plant do you run through it? And 
uh, transmission and all that? Well, we're uh, uh, because the top swarps and top dragster classes, you can run pretty much anything you want from naturally aspirated all the way up through turbos and blowers and those kind of things. But we have a nitrous motor in the car. Uh, we've got a, a, a profiler-headed Ford uh, 706 cubic inch motor in it. Um, it it's, I think our fastest quarter-mile pass has been 646 at about 211 mile an hour. It's moving, man. That is moving. Um, and then you were a little conservative, I think, this this weekend, dialed, what, 420s? Is that where you're kind of in the mix there? Yeah, it it was running uh, low 420s this weekend. It was extremely hot in St. Louis, yes. and uh, but uh, you know, Kurt Kurt Johnson did a great job keeping the track prepped, and uh, uh, it it ran about what I expected it to. Yeah. I think our quickest eighth mile pass was in Orlando this spring. I think we went 414 in the eighth with it in Orlando, but it was like a hundred foot of air there, and we <laughs> right. were <laughs> right. 3,400 feet in St. Louis. So Yeah, St. Louis was a different animal this weekend for sure. There's a lot of humidity as well. and uh, But, uh, yeah, but you, you got it done. Um, when, can you talk to us a little bit about this weekend? Um, talk about, uh, you know, typically I think you run Division three, but was this on your schedule uh, at the beginning of the year? Well, we look at uh, PDRA and Midwest Pro Mod, uh, for for pickup races and 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 filling stuff uh, early and late in the season, and uh, the Midwest Pro Mod runs over St. Louis, and we for the last three years I think we've gone to their events in St. Louis. Uh, you know, it's a quick trip for us, and uh, we get to visit with some folks that we don't normally get to see. So, um, so you put it so on the yeah. calendar then, right? Yeah, they're they're on my calendar. Yeah, and so when you you went there, um, walk us through the rounds a little bit. How the how the car perform, and what did you like, or what changes did you have to make throughout the the race this weekend? Well, I went I went to St. Louis uh, one to be able to do a little testing and not have a points impact uh, for a failure on a on a change. So we went over there, and, and I wanted to pull some fuel out of the out of the motor and try to get the thing a little more consistent. Uh, it, and we did very we did very well there. The car was backing up numbers pretty good, considering how hot it was. Mm-hmm. And that's been my that's been my struggle. I had a little too much fuel in it. Any time the temperature got high, it it really hurt the ET or the consistency in the ET. Okay. So we were we accomplished that. Uh, it was a sixteen car qualified field. Uh, I think we qualified fourth out of the group. Uh, yep. Uh, so it wasn't a very gratifying race from a uh, from a driver's perspective. Uh, first round we had a brake single; the gentleman's car wouldn't start, so that was fortunate. Okay. Second round we catch Lester Johnson, who is uh, kind of like my kryptonite. <laughs> right. Well, he's a lot well, of people's kryptonite, though. To be fair. Right, and and he's a good racer. I'm not taking anything away from him. No. Uh, but, uh, to our benefit, Lester forgot to put fuel in his race car and it ran out of alcohol about halfway down the track. Wow. So he, uh, he did me a favor there, made that an easy round. And then, uh, third round, we had a, uh, uh, competition ladder by, so I was going to get 
get that break anyway. Yep. And which brings us to uh, to the finals where I have Rich Rich Smith. And I I don't think Rich and I have been to the same racetrack together, but I was telling him in the staging lanes that I didn't think that we'd ever staged against one another in competition. And uh, somebody may correct me on that, but I don't think we have. And um, with the with the electronic time slips that we're getting nowadays, I was able to go back and look at his performance over the course of the day, and I'm sure he was doing the same for me. Sure. And uh, I hadn't been stellar on the tree. Uh, through elimination, so I ripped a little out of the box for him, and uh, which ended up being the reason I won. I won the race because I had him by twenty on the tree and gave me some room to drive the car to finish line. So, yeah, it was a, it was an awesome final. I was just lucky enough to be there um, at the starting line when you guys made that pass, and you guys both made really really nice passes. But uh, you you like you said did a little better job on the starting line, and that was the difference maker. So, you know, you get the win and the check and, and the trophy, um, which I think they do a really nice job of. And so that ended up being a really nice weekend. You got some testing and a check. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah, it, that helps. So my, my crew chief always likes when I bring a check home. <laughs> yeah, and we, we, we got to talk about her a little bit. So, <laughs> so tell us about uh, the crew chief. Um, boss um lady in charge well my my lovely bride deidre the meanest hundred pounds in the pits i call her <laughs> or or ed is her nickname sure. uh but uh her and i've been racing uh side by side for about 33 years now i think that i've been to the racetrack three times and made passes without her standing behind the car so uh, we're, we're pretty much a pair. Yes. And, uh, yeah, she's in charge. She works and, uh, keeps, keeps you in line a little bit, I think. Yeah. She, uh, she does her checklist and then comes back and verifies that I did my checklist. And, uh, but we make, we make a good team. Completely agree. Uh, love her to death. And, uh, I know she was fired up um after you saw that last wind light there um and besides her um you know she's running the show but who uh, who else uh helps you in your program well i've got i got a pretty pretty big list uh atm angela and her dad uh jason at vp tom mickey thompson leela and jackie at ngk uh the cool shirt folks uh marco bruzzi helps us out with with some transmission stuff um we have Myers Distributing that, that supports the team. They're on JB's car. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braille Battery, uh, Diamond Trend, uh, Holly with the NOS Systems. Uh, I got to reach out to Philip Oakley at Oakley Motorsports. He's pretty much our engine guru. Um, uh, he he helps us. Well, I mean, he does my freshen up work for me, so okay. uh, he's big help. Uh, Evans racing engines. I mentioned Charlie earlier. So, uh, the motor that's in the car right now belongs to Charlie. And, um, uh, then we recently just here in the last two years, uh, Mark Smith racing is helping us with our shock program. So that's been a big benefit to help stabilize the car, um, in varying conditions. So, What's well, a big part of it? You've you've got good people behind you, and um, that that always helps when when we're trying to make corrections, which seems like is always coming at us. 
Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm pretty fortunate, Rex. I mean, we've spent quite a few years now trying to stabilize the combination. And uh, I, I, I tell people I've got a car that'll launch on gravel. And, man, we've been all over the country. I think the last time I shook the tires in the car was over two years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it, and I haven't touched the wheelie bar in that length of time. I haven't touched the four link in three years. I mean, it is uh, it is a really stable platform. Yeah, you've got it dialed in for sure. Um, so, so tell me this then you so you have you know your combo. You like where it's at. Um, what what were your goals for this year, and what would your schedule look like this year? Well, my goal this year was to pick up about five or six hun, um, and I, I, I we haven't we've picked up a few hundreds of a second and I've got some more in my pocket that we want to try yet this year. Um, so there'd be more to come on that. Uh, you know, just trying to stay on the qualifying ladder, uh, what, you know, where we're used to qualifying at and not get too far behind. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the parity in the class is changing pretty quickly. Um, you know, the, the, the turbocharged and supercharged cars are getting more prevalent in top sportsmen. So the nitrous guys have got some challenges to try to keep up with that. And uh, I don't know that we'll ever catch them on the mile-an-hour side, but at least on the ET side, I think we can stay with them. Yeah. So, Well, you don't have to divulge all your secrets, but uh, did trying to find those extra couple hundreds, did that revolve more around eating fewer cheeseburgers or was it more on the giving it more juice? Well, the, the the cheeseburger plan was last year's. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, now we're just trying to we're trying to smooth the car out. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Most people are aware JB and I are uh, uh, a WD for race pack, so I've, we've both got quite a bit of data uh, for the car, and we spend a lot of time trying to smooth the curve, so to speak. And you know, there's there's tons of opportunity out there just to get the car smooth and if you talk to somebody that that uh, road races or circle track races they'll tell you that smooth is fast that's right and that applies to drag racing also that makes perfect sense um all right well um so that that makes sense to me and it sounds like you're made some real progress this past weekend um tell me something you've been doing this a long time mark and i really respect your opinion so tell me something that you think um, something we could do for our classes or the sport that would just um, turn the screws a little bit, make it just a little bit. Give us, give us as a sport a couple hun. Well, the, I mean, the whole concept of bracket racing is to take cars of uh, differing performance levels and being able to compete on a on a level playing field. Yep. Um, for. 90% of the bracket racing, that's true. When you get into top sportsman and top dragster classes um, that we have a qualified field, it that that's true to a point, but only for the fastest 32 guys. So one of the things that I see happening, um, and it's probably going to happen in Division Three before it happens anyplace else in the country, is we're going to end up having qualified fields like the Jake's Quick 32, where you have 32 qualified cars and are only separated by a few hundredths of a second. Yeah. So in this, in the case of the R2 classes, 610 is the, is the fastest 
ET that we can dial. Right. So we're going to end up seeing fields, and we're already starting to see it in the top dragster side where it's, you know, a couple of tents, you know, that uh, if you can't run 620-something, you're not going to get in. Right. So it, it drives the economics for the participants. And so, I, I mean, nobody's going to run these classes that, that doesn't have uh, an adequate amount of disposable income. But, you know, to go from a, you know, a seventy-five to $100,000 investment and then step that up to nearly a couple of $100,000 investment just in the car, you know, it may put some of us out of the class. So I, I worry about that, and I, I would I would hope that our sanctioning bodies would take that into account, maybe, uh, maybe try to level it just a bit more for us, but I, I yeah. It's a good point. I think it's something that has to be addressed. And in fact, I know the Midwest Pro Mod guys are having that conversation now. So um, interesting stuff to come and appreciate your thoughts on that. Well, Mark, listen, um, you know, you may not be James Dean, but you are just as cool. And um, and I appreciate you coming on. And we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to tag you. We're going to give you the podcast certification, give you the SFI. So, man, anytime you want to come on, you have the golden ticket, the green light to come on back. That's great, Rex. But you, you started the conversation talking about your T-shirt. <laughs> We did. You you do as good a job as anybody uh, wearing that T-shirt, and I absolutely love it. Well, have you told everybody about my wet T-shirt? I have in? not. I have not. So why don't you drop that knowledge on everybody? <laughs> so uh, when we're at lot and I drag your T-shirt out of my uh, RV and I stick it on, and every time I wore that T-shirt, it rained on me. Oh, man. And, and for anybody that was at lot or kind of, uh, watch that progress it was pretty wet and so the following thursday uh, i go to bowling green uh, to work with a customer and then also jb's down testing his new car and uh, i get out of the i get out of the car and i walk over to jb's trailer and he's got your t-shirt on and i told him i said jb i said it it a lot last last weekend every time i wore that shirt i got wet <laughs> and he goes oh no that that's not gonna happen I think he got one. We got one pass in. Everybody got one pass in in a deluge game. <laughs> I remember. So, yes, we were wet again. So I'm not saying there's bad luck to your T-shirt, but it's kind of coincidental. And coming soon, the fast brackets, uh, you know, umbrellas are going to be coming out. So everybody, pay attention. We're going to be releasing those very, very soon. <laughs> Rex, thanks a lot. I appreciate the appreciate the call. Yeah, that I appreciate you coming on. That was good stuff. That was the great Mark McDonald, everybody. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. And, guys, girls, we have plenty of action to report on now because we are back at it now. Um, and we were off last week, so let me get you caught up quickly um, from last week's action. So that was the Division Six NHRA event in Kent, Washington, on the top dragster side, we had Stephen Thompson over Thomas Bear. Bear goes a little too quick. Congrats to Stephen Thompson for getting the win in top dragster. On the top sportsman side, Cliff Dwyer gets a win over our guy, Sean Herbst. 
Um, we know all about Sean, my man. Uh, Cliff Dwyer gets his first win when Sean had just a little bit of trouble down track. So um, we love Sean Herbst, uh, but uh, congrats to Cliff Dye, Dwyer. Um, on the PDRA side, they had an event in Darlington. And on the top dragster side, the elite top dragster, that's their top 16, they had an all-three-second field Man, that was moving. Your number one qualifier was Jody Stroud. He goes 374 with a 1 at 196 miles per hour for the top spot there. Your winner, though, was Steve Furr over Russ Whitlock. Um, he gets it done on the uh, on the elite top dragster side. On the They also have the top dragster 32. Um, your number one qualifier for that was Kellen Farmer. He goes 399 with a 7 at 178 miles an hour and doesn't qualify for the elite field. My goodness gracious. Um, so he's your number one qualifier. But your winner in top dragster was Stephen Boone over Nick Maloney. Boone was 004 in the final to get that win. Nicely done, Stephen Boone. Uh, on the top sportsman side, the elite top sportsman side, Buddy Perkinson goes number one with a pro mod like number of 379 at 195 miles an hour. Whew. The bump was a 402 for that that class. Uh, Henry Underwood runs a 402 to make the cut. Nice work there. But your winner was Dwayne Salance over Buddy Perkinson. Double O two separates them at the stripe when what was an absolutely great final round in elite top sportsman for the PDRA. On the top 32 side, Chad Trailer gets the win over Dave Miller. That is going to be hotly contested, that uh, top sportsman 32. So congrats to Chad Trailer. Now, that gets you caught up. Let's go to last weekend. There was lots of action, first of all, at Bandemir Speedway in Denver, Colorado. NHRA Division 5 held their divisional out there. Your number one qualifier with 34 cars was Cody Colin Volkler. He was 616-1 at 234 miles an hour. Guys, the bump was 775, but there were 19 cars in the sixes uh, for top dragster that way. And your winner was David Oker over Andrew Cortez. They both had Unbelievable packages. Uh, David has a 16-pack to win it over Andrew Cortez's 17-pack. I mean, what a great race. One thou separates him. For, uh, on the top dragster side. On the top sportsman side, there were 24 cars, and your number one qualifier was Nick Johns. He was uh, 672 with a 3 at 200 miles an hour, and your winner was Dwayne Doffing over Bud Priest when Priest goes red. Congrats to all those guys out in Denver. Uh, Division 4 also uh, had a race. They were in Baytown, Texas last weekend. The top dragsters saw 28 cars line up. Stop me if you've heard this before. Steve McDermott was your number one qualifier with a 6-10-3. So he's dialed essentially that thing, got that thing dialed in at a 6-10-3. That's He's claimed the top spot for the last couple races with that number, um, except he amped it up a little bit this week and goes 232. Um, Steve is just killing it right now. And in and in Baytown, there were 16 cars on the top dragster side that were all faster than 620. Think about that. Half the 32-car field, and in this case there were only 28, were ha- they were faster than 620. So it was just a flying field. And your winner 
was Mark Jones over Aaron Stanfield. So they were nearly dead even off the line, but Jones goes a little better to the dial-in. So he gets his sixth Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. Wally, congrats to Mark Jones for winning the top dragster down in Baytown. On the top sportsman side, there were 25 cars. Your number one qualifier, again, Darian Bosch. Darian uh, just motoring along there, 622.6 at 231 miles an hour for this top spot. But the winner was Alan Firestone over his son, Kyle Firestone, on Father's Day. How about that? Father-son lining up on Father's Day to get the championship. They are both 11 off the line. Uh, But Alan's a little better on the stripe to get the win and to give Alan Firestone his seventh Lucas Oil Drag Racing Wally. Um, It also keeps his hopes of defending his title a boost. But just how cool is that? Uh, Father, son, in the final on Father's Day. Nicely done to the Firestones and especially Alan. Then we go east to Epping, New Hampshire, um, Division One event in NHRA. There's 27 cars on the top dragster side. Alan Kenny is your number one qualifier, 619 with a 7 at 221. In the final of the Tommy Tape Top Dragster Division One event, though, was Nick Maloney over Val Di Genova. And Val gets the reaction time advantage, but Nick tapes the stripe uh, by 21 inches at 194 miles an hour for his second Luxol Drag Racing Wally. So quite a race right there. I mean, a uh, close race, but... Looking over and taking the stripe by less than two feet at 194 miles an hour. Getting it done, that is getting it done. On the top sportsman side, then there were 29 cars that rolled in. Ronnie Proctor was your number one qualifier. He goes 660 at 208 miles an hour. And your winner was Ron Regal over Eric Cabral. Ron is 001 in the final and uses that starting line advantage to take the stripe and get the win. Man, nails, double one in the final. Nice work there. Then, as you know, we had Mark McDonald come on, talk a little bit about the Midwest Pro Mod Series in St. Louis. The top dragster event, they do a 16-car field. There were 18 cars. And the wild event that happened there was Bob Henry, who was your number one points uh, earner so far, got a DNQ. Uh, something happened that did not only allowed him one qualifying uh, shot it didn't get done so that could shake up the point series a little bit there but your number one qualifier no no surprise was phil oakley 375 with a seven and then he goes on and gets it done in the final over max sackman matt sackman so you had phil oakley matt sackman in the finals and i'm telling you i was on the starting line it was flat out bad these are two 380 cars there's a blown versus a vortex supercharger of phil's it was loud. It was awesome. It was under the lights. And congrats to Phil Oakley for getting that W. Um, and then we talked about top sportsman with Mark McDonald. Cheyenne Stanley from Cynthia, Kentucky is their number one qualifier. But Mark McDonald gets it done over Rich Smith in the final. And you heard it here earlier. He just absolutely killed it all that uh, that weekend. So next week, we'll bring you more results from the nation. <laughs> Whoa, let's get out of the groove here for just one minute. And today's segment is very apropos because the guy we're going to bring on next, it's his job to keep us in the groove, and he does that at a very high level. He's a former track operator at two of the most historic drug strips 
on the planet, uh, Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis, and then Summit Motorsports Park in Norwalk, Ohio. He's the originator of Friday Night Rage, and he's the owner-operator of Total Venue Concepts. Welcome to the show, Kurt Johnson. How are you, man? Doing great. Good to be talking to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you can make it on. Um, Kurt, you are integral in making sure that our cars get down the track and have a sticky surface to get that done. And you've been doing that a long time. But uh, uh, before we get to that, take us way back and tell us how you got started in drag racing, just in, in general. When when did the bug bite you? So I uh, got into it about 94 and uh, got out of the Marine Corps, didn't know what I was going to do, blah, blah, blah. Went to work for a concrete company and uh, had a little F10 drag truck, and you know how it goes. Went from a bracket truck to a full-tube chassis, supercharged, pro-mod-style <laughs> race truck. Right. And uh, and that's, I mean, the bug hit me. It took a year to, to go from 13 seconds to uh, six seconds. <laughs> right, so, <laughs> right. Um, and then kind of from there, I... Uh, I worked in the concrete industry for quite a while, and uh, uh, but I, I just loved racing. The, the, the concrete company sponsored me wholeheartedly. We had an incredible sponsorship program with them. And um, one day, Mike Lewis from Schumacher, I ran into him, and I, I think it was at PRI, clear back on Columbus State. And, um, and he said he might have a place for me, and it kind of left it at that. And about nine, ten months later, he called me, and he said, hey, I need a trailer taken to las vegas i think you could do that and uh i never came home <laughs> um, <laughs> literally my my mom dad and sister had to go to my house and and i i never came home they they moved my stuff out of there into storage and worked for schumacher until uh oh uh, i think it was 11 somewhere around there okay and uh and went to work for nhra in a marketing position but I worked with the safety story a lot. And and we kind of, back then, safety story did one thing, marketing did another thing, parking did another thing, never worked together. And, and we kind of built a team where everybody worked together, and, and it, it was awesome. And uh, and I learned a lot about track prep through there uh, because nobody does it better than safety story. They really are the best. Yep. And uh, from there, one, and I think it was, 13, they offered me a job to, to run Lucas Oil Raceway. It was ORP then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, I jumped on it. And that was at Brainerd, uh, at the, the tour race in Brainerd. And literally, Raleigh Miller and I left Brainerd on Sunday night. And we were in Indy Monday morning. And the, the Indy top fuel test was a week later. We stripped the track and kind of the rest is history. Yeah, so you ran Indy for a long time. That's where you and I met. And then you went to Norwalk. Um, And then at some point you you went uh, out on your own and and started Total Venue Concepts. So talk us through that transition and what you do with Total Venue Concepts. This this whole deal really was kind of Bill Baker's idea. And uh, he – saw that there was opportunity out there and we brought it to my attention and we really didn't want to part ways, but we did. And, uh, uh, and this originally should, we felt this would be a self degrading business plan because you go prep somebody's track and you should never have to go back there again because you showed them how to do it. 
Right. Um, and originally, I kind of went to Lions Raceway down south and worked with them a whole bunch and, and kind of fine-tuned the business model. We started building equipment at the same time because yeah, there's really good equipment out there, but it was hard to get at that time. That's the whole reason I started to, started building our own. Was it wasn't that there wasn't good equipment out there. It was. It was just hard to get in line for it. Yep. And I needed stuff now. <laughs> right, right. So Brent Jones, who used to own Lions, we started, uh, we came up with our own rotator design and, and flat drag design and sprayer design, and he started building them. And then I just kind of used my business experience to, we're not a building company. I mean, we we are a prototype company, and we build really cool, you know, ideas off of napkins. Yep. And then I shop around, and I find people to build the equipment. And once it goes into production, because we're not a production company, right. we suck at it. We're slow and way too methodical, <laughs> and and you can't do that and make any money. You know, it's, it's still about making money. Right. I mean, got to make a living for sure. So, uh, one one item. I mean, I, I'm you know me. I'm not really even a fabricator. I can cobble stuff together, <clears throat> um, but uh, I just come up with ideas and and I'm like. You know, I think that worked. You saw the little scraper this weekend. That was literally a, a napkin idea. Hey, I think this would work. Yep. And uh, and we try it, and, and we fail a lot, and, and then we'll get it together and finally put it out on the market, and that's really gotten well. And then the whole other side of the business is prepping racetracks and showing the, the idea is to show a racetrack how to prep a racetrack and educate them. That kind of moved into, hey, let's do a couple series because they want consistency. Yep. And so we do all NMCA, NMRA, all of the Outlaw Diesel Super Series, and some one-off uh, bracket races and radio races. Um, I'm I'm a stickler about you do it one way, and and as long as you, I got five steps, you stick to the five steps, you will always have a good racetrack. And, uh, and that's I I hope that kind of sums up what we do. We we put really good tracks. I've got seven guys out that. I, I try to make it a point that it's total venue concept. It's not Kurt Johnson. Right. Um, I got other guys that work for me, and they do it just as well as I do, or they don't work here. And, uh, uh, and like, we got the whole crew in Atlanta this weekend for the NMCA, NMRA dual event. And, uh, and we'll have this place on point. It's going to be hot, but we'll have it on point. Yep. Well, and at this point, a track... Um, can call you up and say, hey, uh, we need equipment and we need to know how to get it done. And you can provide yep. the education and the equipment um, and maybe get get a new truck, track re- operator up and rolling or just re-educate how to do it. And because I know at this point, your reputation precedes you. So there are people that will know that if Kurt Johnson and Total Venue Concepts is prepping that track, I'm going to go race there because I know I have a good race surface. Yep, absolutely. Become a cell point. Yeah, I mean, and you've traveled all over the world now at this point doing that. I mean, you're in Mexico. I think you were in Australia. Is that kind of taking you everywhere yeah. at this point, haven't it? Yeah, Australia, Kuwait, Brazil, Guyana, Mexico, Canada, Sweden. <laughs> we kind of get all over the place. Yeah, you're like Pitbull. You're worldwide at this point, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm blessed. Um, I mean, it's just, we found a niche and we did it. Yeah. No, you do it You do it really well. And um, one of the things I've always appreciated is you've let me pick your brain. So let me, let me do this yep. for you. So 
and I know you guys are working really hard out there. And like, for instance, this weekend, you were, you were in Gateway this weekend, or sorry, Worldwide yeah. Technologies, Worldwide. right? Um, yeah. And the rain came in, and you had to prep a track. How important do you think it is for people uh, like in Top Sportsman and Top Dragster to have a track torque meter and understand exactly how much torque the track is going to take? I mean, you, you're going to try to make it right, but sure. it does vary, right? It, absolutely. You, you, you can't. I mean, I strive for somewhere around 275, 300 on the line for a, for a slick car and, and astronomical beyond 60. I mean, 400 plus is what I shoot for. Okay. And the uh, torque meters are, are a good evil. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, and I'll try to make this brief. A torque meter is as good as the operator is. Yeah. And, uh, so I can I'm I'm looking at a burnout box. I'm sitting next to a burnout box on the tractor right now. I can make that asphalt so I mean the concrete there in that burnout box pull four hundred by how I twist it. Okay. But if people read the instructions that come with it, it, it gives a really good instruction of how to do it. There's there's points you need to twist off of on the twist meter, follow the instructions and have the same guy always do it. And make a log of it. I, it you know how I am. I kind of humble on my bones all over the place. But yeah. I see a lot of guys torque a track, and they don't write it down. <laughs> and that should be in your logbook. Yeah. The, the track was 106 degrees, and it pulled 325 at 45 feet in the groove. And it, and it pulled this. It's just as important as everything else that's in your logbook. And if you don't track it, because the beauty of that is, I mean, you look at especially top sportsman, top drivers. Uh, Philip Oakley was running; he piled in three seventy the first track. Right, right. <laughs> so Philip next year, and he, he, you know, you know, Philip, he's a, a a numbers guy. Yep. I guarantee you he's got that number written down for when they were torquing the track. And so next year he can look back at it and go, you know, the track was one hundred and twenty six at two twenty five. I match that number this year. Uh, I can load the car with it. So to answer your question, torque meters are very, very important. Yeah. As long as you follow the instructions and have the same guy do it and write the number. Down. That, that's a good point um, because there is a human variable there, and we, we got to try to take that out the best we can. Yeah. Now you bounce the radial racing, throw the thing away because it will do you no good. Okay. All right. So let's talk about that a little bit because like, for instance, this weekend, and there are some events where we are running at the same event with some radial prep and that that's a different animal entirely. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You guys, you're on big, big tires that are big in diameter and they need to stay around. And, um, uh, track prep, when you get into that super, super tight track prep, uh, with a lot of glue, it's hard to keep those tires around. You know, they fold over, you run over them, and then shake and knock them off. Yep. And uh, and, and it's a difficult critter. It's uh, that's where your logbook comes back into it. What was your tire pressure that got it to work at last year? Where'd your wheelie bar sit? Where did you know all those variables that, that help give you that controlled tire spin? How hard did you hit it? Where'd you leave that? How much boost? Blah blah blah. <laughs> um, you're, you're going to be, it's a tight, tight track, and it's, it's difficult to get there. Um, I really, so when I went to Norwalk, when I left ORP, I, I 
I kind of prepped one way and it was towards radio. And, and I never really got a lot of complaints at OOP. But when I got to Norwalk, they were going to lynch me. And I, 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 I built this tight track that I was proud of. And 90% of the guys went down it really well. But I found that it was really odd. A 490 to 550 hardtail dragster could not get down it. Okay. And the, the, they'd run 10, 15 numbers on the oh, variable. And now we got off of these same people did not tune their cars. They just, you know, it worked last week. Why shouldn't it work this week? Right. And uh, so if they would have played with the tire pressures and dropped the tire pressures, got them to cuff, it would have gone right down. But it, that's not bracket. A lot of bracket racing. So then slower cars could, could not go down that racetrack. And eventually, I, I call it dumb on the track down. I started making them less sticky and didn't have any problems. Yep. So... Normally, I make the cars tune to the track, but in that instance, I tune to the cars because they're customer. Yeah, and you, you have that ability, but uh, you have to kind of make that call on race day a little bit, don't you? You do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, and I've learned that a majority, especially, you know, Division Three is is the home top sport and top dragster. And uh, we got the best, I don't want to offend other people, but the the best top sportsman guys in the country come race B3. And so it's a great test out of what to do with, with the division cars, with the, the top sportsman top dragsters. And I found that you guys can take a very, very aggressive track. Yeah. And, uh, go ahead. Kind of have to with um, the speeds you have to run now in order to qualify. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> you I mean, I shoot, hell, it can't be that hard bracket racing at 370. I'm sure you can play the strike. Right. Uh, <laughs> Phil makes it look easy. I know that. <laughs> Phil makes it look easy. Jeez. Um, 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 I, I hope that answers your question. No, that was, that was really good, actually. And uh, mm-hmm. I've always kind of thought that um, I think it's tough on you because there are radial versus slick tires, such a different type of thing and um yep. you know like if i had my magic wand i would just go all right everybody runs uh slick you know instead of running radial just put a 10 and a half inch on it and then the track prep is right and we all deal with that but i don't run in that world so uh you know nobody asked me Kurt. Well, i i agree with you wholeheartedly i think it's some of the events that are let's say you're 90 percent slick colors yep. and you're going to run one class of radio just made it harder on everybody because yeah. I can't really give the, the radial car the, the track they really need to, to run a 20. And I can't really, I'm giving the big tires, even with the, so I'm, I'm ripping the small tire off a little bit, because I can't give them what they really need. Because yep. we never get the big tires down unless we scrape the racetrack. And, and if you remember, when I started working, uh, when we started doing all the NMCA events, we started, we would scrape after radial before Pro Mod every round. So that's 25 minutes. We had it down pretty good. We had eight guys, 25 minutes, we'd be scraped out there at 80 feet right. and new rubber. And it worked really, really well. And slowly, but we watched the crowds diminish during that. Fans didn't want to watch that. And yeah. in, in the end, fans are what make our sport because they pay the bills to get us racetrack. And uh, so we've got to keep the fan entertained. So over two years, I dropped back from scraping to rotating. And, uh, now we don't scrape in between. I, I rotate the, the Jesus out of the track. 
and we found kind of a happy medium where uh, an aggressive pro mod car can still run in the city, and uh, uh, and and yet a radial car when we spray it up can go down. There. Yeah, and, uh, it's tough. It, it's tough for it is. You know, and, and like Don't you said, <laughs> yeah, right. The compromise. Uh, well, uh, you may bring a good point though about like uh, you can't bore the fans to death, um, you know, either Ooh. like and and just shut down the thing. And and you have an interesting perspective, I think. I mean, you you've seen it from track management side to um, marketing side. Uh, certainly, you're a racer. Um, yeah. You know, wh- what do you think is one thing that drag racing needs to get better at? Fan relations. Yep. We, we need more. More interjection. We need to make stars. That's what it comes down to. We've lost our star power. So is NASCAR. Yeah. Um, growing up, and I might have been different, but I don't think so. Um, John Force was, I mean, you know, really God, Jesus, and John Force mm-hmm. in that order. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think that's out there anymore. And John's getting older. Um, you know, he, you've got to quit here sometime. Who's going to replace him? I mean, Tony had a bunch of star power 10 years ago. Um, we just don't have anybody with that star power, and we need the, the sanctioning body and the race teams to create that star power again. So we, we have people that come in awe to come see the stars of this sport. Yeah. That, that's I think what we need. That's a, that's a really good point. I would probably argue steve jackson is probably as close as anybody we have right now um is the best opportunity and nobody's jumping on it yeah yeah i totally agree um before i let you go if somebody needs help with um with their racetrack or i think you've actually uh tvc has jumped into um surfacing garage and shop floors now too is that right absolutely we um so just the changing of times and and uh, I bought a ton of equipment to surface racetracks uh, when it comes to grinding concrete. And the same stuff does garage floors and houses. Yep. And uh, so about two months ago, I bought some more equipment. And and we're moving into doing high-end shop floors and high-end uh, housing. Um, and it's, it's really, it's taken, I'm trying to measure how fast I take it off because I can't take away from drag racing, and I'm slowly bringing people in that that do the grinding side. But yeah, we can. If you've got a shop floor, we can do crazy, crazy cool stuff. Yep. And uh, with epoxies and black lights, and or we can just make it look elegant. Well, um, if if somebody wants that done to their shop, like I do, um, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, you can either go to totalvenueconcepts.com. Or uh, you can call me, 419-677-3023. K. Johnson at TotalVenueConcepts.com or info at TotalVenueConcepts. It all comes to me. That's it. That's uh, that's the thing. TotalVenueConcepts.com. And then you can get all the information from there. So Everything's uh, there. Yeah, that's great stuff. Kurt, thanks so much for coming on. I know you're in Atlanta this weekend and traveling a lot, so travel safe and, uh, you know, come back at some point and, and we'll talk again. Yeah, and we, we've got to get together down the road. I miss hanging out with you. We'll do it. We'll do it here soon. We'll do it here soon. All Take right. care of yourself in the meantime. Excellent. You have a good one. Everybody be safe.
Yep. That was a great Kurt Johnson. If you need him. All right. As we hit the mile per hour cone today, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the momentum that our sport has going on right now. Like, I know there's a lot of chaos in the world, but the sport of drag racing has it rolling a little bit. I mean, let's talk about bracket racing. We had Kyle Riley on the show. His SFG $1.1 million race goes on next weekend. And by my count, there are at least four bracket races held this year that pay over half a million dollars to win. So that is spectacular. That is good money. That is, man, you cannot argue that bracket racing has been much healthier in its history. So that's good. Then on the top sportsman, top dragster side, we have, you know, Bandemir Speedway rolling out their Drag Illustrated $20,000 to win race, both on the top sportsman and the top dragster side. That's September 11th and 12th. You know that. You've got that on your calendar. That is a big deal for our classes. You've got things like the Midwest Pro Mod Series adding more and more either classes and or prize money and doing their thing, and that keeps getting better and better. That series is going to be one that down the road we're going to go, man, this thing is an integral part of our sport. Uh, We know that the PDRA is getting huge car counts in both top sportsmen and top dragster. They are doing their thing and rolling at a high level. And if the NHRA doesn't mess this thing up, uh, they will be in action when the other sports have made mockeries of themselves. So they will have a great opportunity to bring even more fans to the mix, and I think they will, actually. Um, Then, you know, on the no prep, the street outlaw side of things, I think they're on season 57 or something like that with no signs of slowing down. Then you've got the radial tire stuff with Duck X promotions. They keep hammering out huge paydays with awesome atmospheres and truly great races. And it's broadcast all over the world. Uh, You know, the junior dragster series are wildly attended and there's toters and stackers all over those joints when you show up. So economic and social issues aside, the state of drag racing is extremely healthy. Now, all we need is for the governments to look at the race pack themselves and see that outside transmission of the Rona is almost 0.0%, and we'd all be set. We'd go back at it. So I tell you all that to tell you this. Whatever your class of choice is, enjoy it because we are in the middle of the run right now. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Yeah, let's take that stripe. I like it. Guys, girls, that is the show. And there's the wind light as we pull the shoots on number 47, episode number 47. There it is. There's the wind light and that sweet, sweet sound of Gloria. Guys, girls, we had a great week this week. A, we had no roadster talk, so that's always good. B, we got in some real wins for motorsports. Thank you again to our dads for getting that done. That is great, great stuff. Thank you for all them. And then I need do need to say this. Uh, some of you need some help. Be like Mark McDonald and get you a Fast Brackets Nation t-shirt or tell me what Fast Bracket, Bracket Nation gear you need. You want umbrellas, whatever. I'll get the elves going. I'll get them off their butts and make that happen. 
Special thanks again to Mark McDonald and Kurt Johnson for coming on. They were great. Uh, appreciate their time. I hope you enjoyed it. So keep the rubber side down and travel safe. So you were telling me a couple weeks ago there's going to be two races in Brownsburg this year? Man, Indy got it loaded up this year. We've got three national events in Indy this year. Three? That's your, your hometown, Brownsburg, Indiana. Yeah. So, yeah, we got to get you out to the track. we got to get you uh, checking things out. Get on the right side of John Force this time. Will you get me one of those suites? <laughs> we'll work on it. We'll get the executive program going. Because I don't want to come if I don't have a suite. I, I understand. You're a little bit prima donna.